0: I'm Lucy. And I'm Jennifer. You're listening to Everything I Know About. Each week, we share everything we know about a new topic, equipped with some internet research and a little too much exposure to pop culture. So today, we are talking about dreams. And if we can interpret our dreams, if we should... We're starting off with what exactly is a dream from a biological perspective, why we dream, and then we're going to explore the history of dream psychoanalysis in the 20th century leading up to today, some of the research-driven ways that we can analyze our dreams, and then the most universally common dreams that we have and what those dreams might mean if you're having them. So I was originally drawn to this topic because I do have a few recurring dreams, and I always felt like it was one of those woo-woo topics that... You know, like it doesn't really have a lot of scientific basis. Like it's pseudoscience. So I never put too much stake into it. I just thought it was like one of those fun, interesting things like tarot cards or astrology or Mm -hmm. something. I stumbled across a psychiatrist who actually was doing research into dream analysis. And she was like, no, like actually sometimes when you're dreaming about your ex or like diving into your past... It's not that you're like missing this person. It's your subconscious trying to get a lesson that you already learned in your past and apply it to today. So it's like your brain learning. And I was like, oh, God, is there like actual meanings to my dreams beyond just, you know, like random BS that my brain is dredging up? So yeah, that's what kind of led to today's topics. Do you have like a reoccurring dream? I have this reoccurring dream that I've had since I was like five years old, which is really weird.
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: It's like a scene, almost, like the opening of a movie. And it has to do with my cousins, who I haven't seen since I was like seven years old, like some estranged family. And one of them is getting hit in the face with a frying pan and like kind of bloodied.
1: It's oh like you're hitting them or you're just watching.
0: I'm just watching it happen. Like they're on a, mm. a rope swing. And when they swing forward, they get hit with a frying pan oh God, on the head. And it's like gruesome. Yeah, it's like not oh. so okay, great. But like it's more like the settings are recurring. Like I have certain settings and like certain worlds that I come back to in my dreams. And I can also lucid dream occasionally. So like my dream worlds are very vivid and I'll dream that I'm awake and like getting ready for work or something when I'm actually not like I'm still sleeping. Like my dreams are like really wacko and (laughs) disrupt my sleep a lot.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. I generally don't remember my dreams. I do if I happen to wake up in the middle of one. But if I'm just like having a normal night's sleep, like I sleep really well. I sleep eight hours easy, like asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow. And I know you have insomnia, right? So (laughs) maybe that's part of the reason. I mean, we'll get into it (laughs) in the conversation.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you track your sleep with anything?
1: No. I used to do the, like I had this alarm on my phone where you put the phone face down on your bed. And I guess based on the movement of the phone on the mattress, it is supposed to tell you how much REM sleep you're getting. I don't know how Hmm. accurate that actually is. I mean, I know now there's like a bunch of wearable devices, so I'm sure those (laughs) are way more accurate.
0: I had that alarm clock too. Didn't it try to wake you up when you weren't in REM sleep? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely had that too on my phone. I had a whoop strap that was like crazy giving me sleep analysis, but I just got an aura ring. And Mm. today I woke up in the middle of a dream and I looked at my analysis on aura and I was in like the middle of a REM cycle when my Mm. alarm woke me up. I was dreaming about Dylan Sprouse, which is really weird. I'm not like, general, I'm not into like celebrity culture or anything, but I was like dreaming of Dylan Sprouse with Barbara Palvin, his wife, like the supermodel. Yeah. And they were like, we were like They're a fabulous Prague. couple. They're, I mean, they're really hot. Good for them. But like, they were like in Prague and Barbara was like leaving him for the holidays or something. And she was like, I will die without her. It was like very poetic. And then I like woke up. <laughs> it
1: was very strange. Wow. Do you keep like a dream journal or log any of these?
0: No. I want to forget about them as soon as possible. I mean, clearly, I don't need to be like carrying that around. Barbara (laughs) Ballman and Dylan Strauss not really doing me any good in my waking life.
1: (laughs) The topic we're going to start with is what even is dreaming? What biologically causes us to dream? And so first, why do we dream? The short answer is we don't really know. But the prevailing theory is that dreaming helps you build memory, consolidate skills and habits, and process emotions. So it's basically like a rehearsal for various situations and challenges that you face during the daytime. Other theories are, one, that it's just mental housekeeping. Maybe our dreams are weird because it's our brain's way of cleaning up and clearing away partial or unnecessary information. Two, just like an instant replay function, a way for us to just review events that happen throughout the day and analyze them. And then three... That dreams have no meaning and it is just incidental brain activity. So when do we actually like do most of our dreaming? You can actually dream throughout any phase of sleep, which I didn't know. Really? Yeah. So it is definitely more common that it happens during rapid eye movement REM sleep. And that's what I had thought, but actually can happen at any period. I think the reason we associate it with REM is because REM is when you have the most vivid dreams since your brain activity, your brain waves are most similar to when you're actually awake. Hmm. That also means it's easier to remember those dreams because what influences whether we remember a dream is like how awake our brain is. REM sleep is not distributed evenly throughout the night. On average, adults get about two hours of REM sleep a night. And the majority of that happens during the second half of your normal sleep period. So that means that dreaming tends to be concentrated in the hours before waking up. And it is definitely true that if you wake up during REM, you are far more likely to remember your dream. A 2011 study in the Journal of Neuroscience showed that people who have more theta brainwave activity in their prefrontal cortex, which is where your dreams are generated, after waking from REM sleep, have better recall. And that activity is what drives our memories when we're awake. Mm -hmm. And since I don't really generally remember my dreams, I was really curious, like, what influences how much I'm able to remember and, like, when I remember versus when I don't. And so it's so challenging to remember our dreams because when we first wake up, memory encoding in our brain is just very fragile. Like an alarm clock, a distraction, just makes it so these fleeting memories are never encoded into long-term memory. So if you're trying to like better remember your dreams, the advice that they give is that you should try to wake up naturally, try to just sit there, be calm and meditative when you first wake up, and then immediately write down your dream to encode it into long-term memory.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: There's been studies that have shown that in a research environment where medical researchers woke up patients during REM, 80% of people actually remember their dreams. In normal life, young adults can remember their dreams only once or twice a week.
0: Wow. And how often would you say that you remember yours?
1: Probably the once or twice a week when I wake up, but because I don't write them down, it's often very fleeting. Like if I wake up and I immediately turn around and tell my husband Avery like what I dreamed about, even maybe as I'm telling the story, it's already flying away from me.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I've definitely had that experience too. So if we don't remember our dreams, is it possible we're just not dreaming at all or is it like we're still having the dreams, it's just not sticking?
1: Yeah, most likely you still are dreaming. There are situations where you don't have any dreams, but that's usually because of medication you're taking or some like more serious condition. If you're just sleeping normally, you're not suffering from narcolepsy or sleep apnea. You do dream, you're just most likely not remembering it. Wow. On average, like those are the numbers I shared, right? But for individuals, some people remember their dream almost every other day. Others report virtually no dream recall. And scientists have looked into, is it because of who you are that enables you to remember more or less? Or is it based on the state you're in when you're falling asleep or when you're waking? And what they found is actually gender plays a role. So a meta-analysis that combined data from 175 individual studies concluded that women were significantly more likely to remember their dreams. Wow. Yeah. Go off, girls. The reason is kind of sad, though. The pattern is because women are more likely to be poor sleepers and active dreamers. And like I just said, if you wake up a lot during the night, you tend to remember your dreams.
0: Okay, don't Um, go off, girls.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that effect was found throughout many age groups, from children to older adults. And I thought this was really interesting. So I found this study that Dr. Kelly Bulkley, a psychologist, did in 2014, where she used a computerized word search program built into the Sleep and Dream database, uh, which is an open-access digital archive and search engine of dreams. And she looked at about 3,000 women's dreams and about 2,000 men's dreams. Compared to men, women dreamed more about fear and more emotions overall. So the words that came up in her word search were about family members, friendly social interactions, visual perceptions, and colors. Whereas for men, they had more references to physical aggression and sexuality, and the words that came up in their word search were transportation, money, and weapons <laughs> It's so just so like
0: stereotypical,
1: I know I know, and the research has shown that like our dreaming lives and
0: our waking lives are very much interconnected. Men like transporting caravans of weapons, and that's just like filtering into their dreams. <laughs> what does that mean for the men? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel like some of that is just how we're socialized, right? Like women are socialized to be more in touch with their emotions. Personality also plays a big factor into whether you can remember your dreams or not. There's the big five psychological trait theory from 1980. They are one, conscientiousness, two, agreeableness, three, neuroticism, four, openness, and five, extroversion. It's used in a bunch of different studies, but for dreams in particular, the only trait that was found to be correlated with dreaming is openness. So if you are a more open, which they define as inventive and curious person versus a consistent or cautious person, you will actually recall your dreams much more and you will tend to have more vivid dreams. Anything novel, intense or unusual, we are far more likely to remember than just dreams about general patterns, general things. Wow, that's
0: really interesting because that almost seems like a correlation with like imagination and creativity.
1: Yeah, and so then how do you have more vivid dreams? The things that cause more vivid dreams other than these like traits based on you as an individual, there are states based on how much you sleep, how you're waking, how well you're sleeping that also impact your dreams. And a lot of the reasons people have vivid dreams more like nightmares is because one, you're just not sleeping enough. So if you're really sleep deprived and then you go to bed, you're gonna have more REM because your body is trying to catch up. Certain medications like for depression or beta blockers are actually known to cause nightmares. Another factor is sleep disorders like narcolepsy, insomnia, and also just being pregnant. Pregnancy causes your sleep to change and you to have more vivid dreams, often unpleasant dreams, because you do have also increased stress. And that's the last factor. The flip side of these like vivid dreams that are not as negative is lucid dreaming. We really don't know a lot about lucid dreaming because it's just self-reported, so there's no way for scientists to actually objectively measure it. The only thing they can tell is that you're an REM, and then they're relying on the person when they wake up to tell them if they could control their dream or not, because lucid dreaming is the experience of achieving conscious awareness while dreaming, while you're still asleep. There's not a whole lot of data in terms of numbers on it, but there are some supposed techniques. Again, I would take them with a grain of salt. But for people who have claimed that they've been able to train themselves into lucid dreaming, the techniques are one, to reality test while you're awake. So to always ask yourself, kind of like the movie Inception, how do I know I'm not dreaming right now? Touching mirrors, like doing things like that, because if you get in that habit while you're awake, then you're more likely to do it while you're dreaming.
0: I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That would freak me out to like go about my daily life and just be like, am I dreaming right now? No, of course I'm not. dreaming. Like at a certain point, you're going to trick yourself into thinking like, why the fuck am I asking myself this all the time? Like, am I, yeah. am I crazy? Yeah, that would that would like trigger something psychologically in me. I don't think I could do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like, am I is this a simulation?
0: Like constantly asking. Yeah. Yourself that. Am I real? Like, yes, you're <laughs> real. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's one method. And then again, I don't really put much stock into these, but the two other methods are like mnemonic induction of lucid dreaming. So just like repeating, you're going to recognize you're dreaming next time you're dreaming. And that like triggers your brain into hopefully doing it when you're actually dreaming. And the third, which seems the most painful, which is literally you set alarms throughout the night to wake yourself up. And then when you fall back asleep, apparently it's
0: easier to lucid dream.
1: But I'm curious because you said you've actually experienced lucid dreaming. So what was that experience like for you? Did it just happen randomly or did you try any of these techniques?
0: No, I definitely don't try. It happens probably like once a month, once every other month. But it's not like, I mean, there's people who report basically like astral projecting into a different realm of like being able to like control everything. It's definitely not like that. It's just like, oh, I know I'm dreaming. And like, maybe I'm talking to somebody who I haven't talked to in like 15, 20 years. And like, I want to mm. ask them a question. And I'm like, aware of the fact that this isn't reality. And so I'm like, oh, I want to like ask them this question. I never got to ask them. Or I'm aware that it's a dream and I'm like, oh, I remember I had this dream a few weeks ago and like I remember this setting. And so I'm like aware of the fact that I'm having a a repeat dream at the time and then can kind of like navigate my way through the world a little bit differently. Sometimes if I'm having an argument with like my parents or my partner, like I'll dream about that and in my dream be aware that I'm doing it and like kind of battle test my arguments in my dream like consciously interesting it's very, this sounds very, very useful
1: your dreams sound very useful
0: <laughs> well it sounds like one of the reasons that we even dream right it was practice essentially is what you said right mm-hmm. like, yeah yeah rehearsing rehearsing exactly so it's like maybe my brain is just really needs some rehearsal I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah I mean the nightmares I have are generally because if I'm like getting a performance review the next day and I'll have a nightmare that very night before my performance review that like I failed or like saying all these horrible things about me. So I definitely feel like it's very anxiety and stress driven. Even just taking a flight, my body will just be anxious and it'll like wake me up, you know, at four in the morning if I have a 7 a.m. flight. It's aware that I'm stressed.
0: <laughs> That's uh, useful and also not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did read a study actually where they tried to induce lucid dreaming. Mm. And they had like a 46% increase in their participants lucid dreaming over the course of six nights. And they intentionally woke them up, like you said. I think it was like once every two hours, they woke them up and were like, what were you dreaming about? Made them talk about it. Kept them awake for 30 minutes and then gave them a low dose. Of, I think it was like glutathione. I don't know, some drug. And participants lucid dreamed 46% more often during wow. this regimen, which is huge. Yeah.
1: Yeah 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 I wonder if you would just be likely to say that you did make it worth it
0: that's what that's what I was just thinking when you're like there's actually like no scientific way to know if they did just self-report and be like yeah lucid dream just like let me sleep dude
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm done for the day I already did it once so stop waking me up yeah or
0: maybe you're just in like this state of like you're not actually sleeping because I think a lot of my lucid dreams are probably just me like not actually being asleep it's just like I'm having like a daydream but I'm also in like a semi-sleep state and like these people are probably sleep deprived you just made them sit Mm -hmm. up for 30 minutes like i'm sure they're not Mm -hmm. like in total rem and then having a lucid dream
1: yeah i mean i feel like our society has been so fascinated by dreams forever and like i don't know did you take a psychology class in high school or in college
0: i actually never did
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's like one of the most popular classes in high school because i think when you're young you're always like why does my brain work the way it does is it similar to other people's or not like i took ap psych mostly because i was curious about dreams actually and i wanted to know about like what the various theories were in the space, but I'm curious to hear what you found because you looked into
0: that, right? I did, but my God, if you have like an AP psych history- Oh, this was years you... ago, this was years ago. <laughs> I don't, so I, get, I went in very blind, but we should not be surprised that the father of dream psychoanalysis was Freud, of course, the, the father of all modern psychoanalysis. I mean, we've always been interested in dreams like since ancient times. The Romans and the Greeks thought dreams were prophecies, And they thought that we could interpret our dreams to, like, know what was coming, that it was the gods trying to tell us something. So they've always had a particular significance. Freud tried to solidify that in his The Interpretation of Dreams, which came out in the year 1900. And it was the most significant milestone in dream interpretation in the modern times. So Freud, of course, is very big on sexuality. He kind of has a rap for you know, all of his theories leading back to sexuality. And in reality, a lot of his talk about sexuality is really about reproductive drive and like the biological mechanism of reproduction. So it's not like explicitly sexual. And he thought that dreams were related to this as well, that it was actually repressed desires of ours that were coming out in the subconscious mind and coming through in our dreams. So he thought that by interpreting our dreams, we could understand the desires that our conscious brain will allow us to fully explore and realize. So yeah, it was a form of like wish fulfillment, repressed sexuality as well. Not surprising. <laughs> and then
1: and so dreams for him are like a, the unconscious mind. They don't interact with your awake life, right?
0: Yeah, it's like everything your awake mind represses into the subconscious mm-hmm. comes out in your dream, Got the it. desires specifically. And then his contemporary, Carl Jung, also his student. His student, yes, he was greatly influenced by the interpretation of dreams and Freud. As he matured in his scientific analysis, he diverged from Freud quite a bit, and he came up with a theory of universal interpretation. So he felt that there was this universal subconscious among all humans and that we could form a sort of common symbiology by which we can interpret dreams. So this means that, like, we all kind of evolve from, like, the same common ancestors. So we're all going to have dreams about, like, being chased by a big animal, for instance. And, like, this symbiology can inform not only what our unconscious mind is doing, but what our conscious mind is thinking in the real world. So while he developed his theory of universal symbiology, he also developed a theory of compensation. So he felt that dreams were our unconscious mind trying to fully develop and balance parts of our conscious mind that were underdeveloped. So it, that does actually sound it sounds like it has echoes in what you research, like our brain doing rehearsals and like kind of flexing muscles that it doesn't get to flex in our waking life. And so he felt that while we all have like universal themes stemming from our common biology, it also needs to be interpreted on an individual level in a more nuanced sense than maybe Freud was doing it. And then Calvin Hall in the 1950s. So he came up with a more modern interpretation that I think kind of trickles into some of the modern psychology that we see today, which is that dreams are like plays or enactments based on ideas that the person has about themselves, about the outside world. And that dream interpretation could actually help a person better understand themselves and their own behavior. It's like, okay, if I have like this symbol I can tell you what that means about your belief about the world and then thus what that means about you.
1: Yeah, so Calvin Hall, he and this other psychologist, Robert Vandecastel, in the 1960s created a large-scale coding system to analyze various facets of dream content. It is still widely used and referenced. There were many dream classification systems before that, but his really represented this turning point. And most modern studies are actually based on this up until very, very recently. The people who really, really believe in it say that it is, quote, completely objective and quantitative. It does not draw on case histories, free associations, amplifications, symbolic interpretation, or any other material from outside the dream reports themselves. And they're usually conducted blind. So for that reason, it's considered a fairly strong attempt at empirical research when it comes to this topic of dreams that is really difficult to actually study in a scientific way. The way that it works is you code dreams by characters, social interactions, activities, successes and failures, fortunes and misfortunes, emotions, settings, objects, and descriptive elements like time, color, size, etc.
0: Oh, who remembers their dreams in this much detail?
1: So even from what I just said, like, it's a very complicated system. And that's part of the weakness of the system is because you do have people manually hand coding these things. And obviously that's both really, really time consuming, but also very prone to mistakes or how like an individual would perceive or categorize the dream that they're analyzing. People throughout the 1990s and even early 2000s still use this system to great effect and were able to map out people's dreams. Both individuals who had kept extensive dream journals, but also looking at large groups and trying to figure out if there's any commonalities or similarities between what people dream about turning those elements into actual numbers around how frequently they appear, determining frequencies for individuals and groups, and then comparing the findings of a group to like a unique person being studied. So you could actually, using the system, try to figure out your own dreams. You could categorize them and then understand, okay, am I like other women in my age group or are my dreams really significantly different? Okay, that's pretty cool. Yes, and so the analyses of all of these dreams throughout this method demonstrated that there's a large degree of consistency in what a person dreams about over several months or years, even 40 to 50 years in the two longest dream series analyzed to date, and that there's striking continuities between our dream findings and waking life. So these are very closely linked. You can actually predict somebody's concerns and interests based on just reading about their dreams. And then when they map that against the actual person and, like, interviews with that person, it, like, very much matches what they're actually thinking about on a daily basis. And so they use those findings to basically suggest that our dreams really do have meaning, that they're not random brainwaves, just clutter that we're trying to get rid of.
0: So just to clarify, though, it's our Mm -hmm. waking life that's informing our dream, not vice versa.
1: Correct. There was a new approach in 2020 that came out called the Structural Dream Analysis, the SDA, which is based on the assumption that the meaning of a dream consists not so much, like Hall and de Castle said, based on certain symbols or elements, but more in the relationship between these elements and in the course of action which the dream takes. So it's structure. Hmm. Okay. So you can think of it like as if a dream was a novel or a story where it's more about the plot and the order of things that happen and how things climax or how things resolve, rather than taking that dream and breaking it into specific elements and then counting the number of elements in that dream and across time within a series of dreams.
0: Fascinating. Okay, that feels more intuitively right, but what does that have to say?
1: So it's a different approach, right? Like the Hall and castle they're saying that is objective and like quantitative because all you're doing is theoretically counting Though, as I mentioned, obviously there's a human interpreting it to begin with. This approach is more qualitative because there's not a way to count plot, right? Like you you are relying on someone to interpret when the peak of a story is or when it falls. And it's very much based on Jungian psychology, which is that the dream uncovers the unconscious. And so as dreams progress in and of themselves, but also over a period of time, we're actually like resolving things in our unconscious. Mm -hmm. So the way that this works is, one, you look at the dream like it's the plot of a book. You identify the climax, what happens after it, etc., Two, you look at the fate of the protagonist. So what is the dreamer doing? Are they actively involved? Are they a passive observer? Are they powerless, et cetera? Three, you break the dream into parts like the initial situation, situations where they're receiving help or support, any situations where they're facing challenges. You do look at symbols in the context of this. So if like a dog appears a lot, making note of that. And then the goal is to understand the symbols in the context of the dream. And then overall, over an entire series of dreams, how do all of these trends play together? The results of some of this, a major finding was that a high percentage of all dreams from all cases can be categorized by a very limited number of structural patterns. So the most general pattern can be described as the ego, the dreamer, is confronted with a requirement. They have to cope with a challenge and then they have to fulfill a plan or task. Super general, but like more specifically, it breaks into five structures. So one, there's no dream ego. You're just observing a scene. That sounds very much like your recurring dream where you're just like watching a scene play out. Yeah. Two, the dream ego is threatened by some form of danger. Could be a person, could be a natural disaster of some sort. Three, the dream ego must perform a task. Like a very common one is taking an exam. Four, the dream ego moves towards something. So there's transportation, you're on a plane, you're on a train. Mm. And then five, the dream ego is trying to communicate with someone. And Christian Rossler, who wrote this paper in 2020 about SDA, found that individuals in therapy where the therapist reported an improvement in their condition, that the structure of their dreams actually changed from the beginning of therapy to the end. Whoa. So yeah, it's fascinating. In the cases where there was a successful therapeutic change, the second half of the dream was dominated more by the fifth pattern, which was that the dream ego is trying to communicate with someone.
0: Oh, OK. And then if it was a negative experience, like what do you start with? What is like considered a bad place to start?
1: So, yeah, I mean, there's no I, I guess I wouldn't put it in terms of good or bad, but definitely you could start from a place where at any of the first three-ish scenarios where it's like you're either just a passive observer, there's no dream ego, or you're in some sort of stressful situation. Either you're being threatened or you have to perform a task. And generally at the beginning of these therapy processes, the person will just have constant repetitive dreams about that thing that they're facing. So if it is some form of danger, like a flood, for example, they'll just have a continuous repetitive dream where they're just drowning, Ooh. and then as their therapy progresses, and if they are making progress, their dreams will slowly start to shift from okay, you're not drowning, you were able to get to dry land, to eventually realizing, oh, the thing that is causing you fear or pain, maybe you can like become friends with them, or maybe you can talk to them, or understand them, like connect with them in some way, which is that last stage five, trying to communicate.
0: Okay, that's crazy. It's like having agency in your dream world translates to agency in your real life, or vice versa. Yeah, I guess, cause- probably.
1: Vice- vice versa right yeah, like as you develop more tools right yeah. agency in your real life you have less nightmares. because to me the first three definitely I guess the first one not necessarily but I feel like the second two and three definitely sound like nightmares yeah taking a test or being threatened sound horrible
0: yeah god I'm thinking of like all of the repetitive dreams I have where I'm just like doing something over and over and over again and I have to like sometimes consciously wake myself up like maybe yeah. I need to go to therapy <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess like even just hearing this stuff, is there anything that jumps out to you as like, okay, since you do remember a lot of your dreams, like trends you've noticed or maybe periods in your life where you
0: had one type of dream or like a different type in another period? I was like trying to figure it out based on what everything you were saying, but I don't think there's an explanation for it that we've come to yet. When I first got engaged, I always had this dream that I was engaged to somebody else and it like wasn't Ruben. And -hmm. then I would be in such anxiety in the dream because I would realize, oh my God, this is the wrong person. And I would get freaked out. And I couldn't remember in my dream, Ruben, like I couldn't remember him, but I knew the person I was with was not the right person.
1: Have you shared that dream with Ruben? I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was his interpretation?
0: <laughs> I mean, he thinks it's sweet that like, at least I thought everyone else was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but fair enough. I equate it to like my brain reassuring me that I made the right choice. Like, it's OK. Yeah. Like, these are all the different scenarios in which you could have made a different choice and you hate all of them. So <laughs> don't right. worry.
1: Right. It's like you're rehearsing, like if you had picked different options. Yeah, I
0: think we're going to go with that one. That seems the most healthy.
1: So the guy changes every time you have the dream. Like yeah. Like a different fiance. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds really healthy to me then. It's like you're exploring <laughs> these other paths, but it's always
0: ending up with like you made the right decision, you know? Okay, I love the one you want. Yeah, we're gonna keep that one. (laughs) Love it. I don't need therapy after all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So one of the things that I was really curious about researching is what are our most common dreams? And what do they actually mean? And I was really disappointed when we did this research and found out that, like, actually, you can't really do this kind of analysis in a scientific way. Like it is, as you said, mostly about the patterns. It's not about the specific dreams. So there are a few studies out there that try to analyze this and this is a disclaimer most of these studies are either not very scientific i.e they are done with google search analytics just like researching what people like i have this dream about like a tornado tearing through my house and it happens more often in like kansas for instance and like they're gonna like do some analysis off of that or it's through this dream database that you talked about where like things are manually tagged and then there's a whole host of issues with like that human intervention there So there's not really a good way to do this. But we do know that dreams do have practical meaning in our lives and they can influence our waking life. So that causality actually happens the other way sometimes. So Mm -hmm. what I found was that there was a 2009 study where they asked people who had catastrophic dreams how it affected their waking life. And people were more likely to cancel a trip after they had a dream of their plane crashing Mm -hmm. than they were for any other reason, including a government warning about a possible terrorist threat or knowing that there was actually a plane crash that happened in real life. If they had the dream of the plane crash, they were more likely to cancel their trip. Crazy. Wow.
1: That's fascinating. Maybe that's because when you're dreaming it, you're actually experiencing it. And then they feel all the emotions of that. That's crazy.
0: It's so much more visceral. And it just reminds me of all of like the, the joke videos you see about people being like, I'm mad at my boyfriend because I had a dream that he cheated on me. <laughs> to get mad oh. at him in real life, <laughs> Definitely. It's like a bilateral effect. But yes, in the whole analysis vein, we do share a lot of genetic programming with each other biologically. So it is Unsurprising that we have a lot of the same dreams. Dreams tend to repeat across populations, across cultures. So even modern humans will have similar dreams to nomadic tribes that exist today. Everybody has dreams about being chased by big monsters with Mm. big teeth. So another idea that comes up a lot across people and cultures is the idea of nudity as social exposure. So everyone even in cultures where you don't wear a lot of clothing like nomadic cultures they still have shame filled nude dreams which I found fascinating. Wow. Something in our deep in our psychology doesn't like it.
1: Huh. I wonder if that's this may be a stretch but I feel like like clothes for human is like our protective armor right like since we don't have fur and I feel like biologically since we don't maybe have, it's
0: have
1: like, fur. <laughs> <laughs> <woof>. <laughs> biologically it's like shedding our armor is being nude like i feel like being naked in front of the class right is like a common dream that i've
0: heard that is it's so common have you had that one
1: i don't remember maybe i have
0: god you are so secure
1: i feel that. (laughs) well i just see it depicted in movies so much that now it's like confusing what's happened to me and like what is just from me watching someone else
0: okay funny you say that so i was listening to a few podcasts with that william dorhoff researcher yeah So he is probably the most prolific dream researcher, if not in the world, then definitely in the United States. So he's out of the University of California, Santa Cruz, and he runs the Dream Bank website and spearheads that whole Mm -hmm. research division. But he was saying that like a lot of these dreams that we see pop up again and again, like the teeth falling out dream. Like, I'll get into that in a second, but that is the most common dream that people talk about is like their teeth falling out. Weird. Yeah, there's reasons for it. But he said that even though people recognize that like this dream and like the falling dream, that's very common. They actually might happen more often because we know that they're common dreams and we're priming our brain to think about them. Yeah. So to your point, we all kind of know that there's like the, oh, I showed up to school naked dream like for trade and pop culture. And so like, maybe that's why it's happening.
1: Yeah. It's so hard to determine cause and effect with all these things. I guess that's just like back to the beginning where it's like the levels of consciousness, right? I feel like they're all so intertwined. So it's really tough to know like, okay, I'm actively making this decision or it's something subconscious happening under the surface. And like my subconscious is influenced by all of the things I absorb on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, totally. And there was a study done on like exactly this, like how much is our waking world absorbing into our dreams and our subconscious mind. And there were three separate studies done. On college students, they were asked to keep a dream journal. I think for sixty days, and it was done in Canada, Hong Kong, and Germany. And surprisingly, in all three cohorts, they dreamed about the exact same things. They had the top ten, like most common dream patterns, were the same across all three countries, except for just in different orders.
1: Whoa!
0: Here, I'll I'll tell you what the Hong Kong students dreamt about the most. So their most common dream was schools and studying, being chased or pursued, falling. Arriving late, failing an exam, a person now alive who was dead. I think that just means somebody who like died, who's like alive in their dreams. It's not like a zombie situation. I don't think. (laughs) I didn't think it was a zombie (laughs) situation. Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) Uh, Trying again and again to do something soaring, frozen with fright and sexual experiences. So the thing to note here is schools and studying was first. Sexual experiences was last. In Germany, however, they also still had schools and studying as the first being chased or pursued. Sexual experiences was actually the third most common among the Mm -hmm. German cohort. And then in the Canadian cohort, sexual experiences was second most common, followed by schools and studying. Interesting. Yes. So while the idea here was that we all are having similar experiences as college students across cultures, like we're going to dream about school. But depending on your culture, you might dream more frequently or less frequently about sexual experiences, which seems to check out.
1: Yeah. Like how preoccupied are you with getting a good grade versus dating that cute girl in your chem class?
0: Yeah. The Canadians need to chill. bro. <laughs>
1: They're too horny.
0: <laughs> so yeah. About that teeth falling out dream. So this one I thought was super fascinating because during the pandemic, this dream blew up. The search for teeth falling out was I think up like 300% or something. Like it was like wow. a lot. Like people were constantly- I've never heard
1: of this. Really? What is the teeth dream? Is it just that? Your teeth fall out of your mouth?
0: Yeah, like you're having a dream that like your teeth are falling out, like they're crumbling.
1: I've never heard of that. I've
0: had this dream before. You've never had it?
1: No. You've never
0: even heard of now, it? Now I'm going to have it tonight. <laughs> yeah, now you're going to experience it. I started having it when I had Invisalign. Because I was having a bunch of anxiety that I like wasn't doing my Invisalign right or because it was like so expensive and time consuming. I was like, this needs to go right. And then I would have these dreams that my teeth were falling out anyway. So
1: well, that makes sense. But is this just because a ton of people get braces or why (laughs) Why are people dreaming about this?
0: So like I said, it shot up during the pandemic. There's a few reasons. So it has to do with stress and anxiety. So the more stressed you are, the more you're grinding your teeth and the more you're Mm. clenching at night. And actually, tooth pain and jaw pain at night makes you dream that your teeth are falling out. So they're correlated. Uh, Also, during the pandemic, dentists were calling out the fact that patients were coming in with grinded down teeth and that it was becoming a real problem. That's cool
1: that there's actually not only is it like your emotions or your psychological state, but it's also like physically experiencing jaw pain from grinding your teeth, which you're not consciously aware of. Most people who grind their teeth don't know unless their partner tells them you were grinding your teeth. Yeah that that actually manifested in your dream. So if you dream about it, you should probably ask your partner to check if you grind your teeth or like talk about it to your dentist.
0: Yeah, actually 100%. That's like one of the things that when I was researching this, there was actually like one of those Healthline articles. They were like, yeah, if you have dreams about this, go to your dentist. It's that much of a correlation that they're like scientifically telling wow. you if you have this dream, go get it checked out. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Now I'm like, does that apply to, like, if you have a dream about a heart attack, does that mean your chest, there's actually something wrong? Oh, God. (laughs) This could be taken very far, I feel. (laughs)
0: Let's hope not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking at this map that, using the Google search data, tried to map out, like, what the most common dreams are. So teeth falling out was searched 81,000 times in the U.S., and the next most common was snake dreams, only at 19,500. So you're talking about, like, four times as many. Hmm. Lots of people dream about their ex. Spiders vacation being chased, their wedding interesting, probably because of the stress factor that's what like I was that. thinking. Yes, <laughs> flies, which okay, sex came in at second to last at eighty four hundred um and bears, yeah. interestingly, so lots of people having. Creature dreams in the United States. Wow. Yeah. So I think I'm pretty sad that there's not a a more scientific explanation to my dreams. I, I was kind of hoping that we would end this episode being like, I can get a dream journal and like a dream dictionary and psychoanalyze myself. And while that is not a scientifically proven way to do things, that is a way that you can start remembering your dreams more. Mm-hmm. And remembering your dreams and analyzing them on your own does have some benefit. I think it makes you more self-aware. You can like, kind of tie it back to some of these patterns that we were talking about. And at least know if you need therapy or not. Because if you are passive and don't have agency in your dreams, I mean, maybe try. <laughs> maybe try to have it in your real life.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think keeping a dream journal, if you're curious about remembering, is definitely proven to help. And then even doing this analysis on your own, As long as you do it over a long period of time, I think it definitely can reveal interesting things about yourself. I feel like this is as scientific as it gets, right? Like to me, I know you're saying that it it doesn't feel that scientific. And I think it's true that there's not like, hey, if you dream about X, it definitively means Y. But I think there is at this point a large enough body of dreams collected where you could compare your own dreams if you categorize them. And there's a bunch of different classification options out there. You could actually draw some conclusions.
0: Yeah, totally. And that Dormhoff researcher that we were chatting about, he, in one of his podcasts, said that he can either look at your dream journal over the past few months and learn so much about you, or he can have a candid closed-door conversation with you for one hour and learn the exact same things. Okay.
1: (laughs) So just go journal, like for real (laughs) journal, not dream journal, and you'll reach the same (laughs) conclusions a lot faster.
0: There you go. (laughs) Amazing.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks, guys.
1: If you enjoy the pod, we would love for you to give us a follow and rate us on Apple Podcasts, which helps us get the word out and reach new listeners. Full transcripts and show notes are available on Patreon, where if you choose to become a patron, you'll also get access to bonus content, our monthly book
0: club, and our eternal gratitude. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a topic for a future episode, email us at everything I know about pod at gmail.com or DM us across all socials at ecopod. That's e-i-k-a-pod. Thanks for listening and see you next week.